Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. That's especially the case today as we're talking with Joseph Cusick, Director of Education and Business Development at the Options Industry Council. He speaks to us from their headquarters in Chicago. Joe, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Hey, Charlie. Uh, it's great to be here, and thanks so much for the opportunity to talk to you and all your listeners. So, Joe, uh, you've uh, spent 24-plus years in the options industry, obviously started at 12. You have uh, been on the floor uh, of the CBOE as a market maker. You've been with Options Express, Schwab. You've been in pri- private industry side always focused on and having the expertise of options. You joined the Options Industry Council a few years ago, and you now travel throughout the country educating institutions, that's endowments, pension plans, family offices, etc., training them on how to use options for risk mitigation and performance enhancement. So let's start with who and what is the Options Industry Council. Yeah, you know, Charlie, the, as you had mentioned, you know, I've been in this business for over 20 years, and the Options Industry Council was formed in 1992, which is right around when I was breaking into the business. And it was really built uh, for as a industry cooperative uh, to provide basic education and look at the benefits and risks of the exchange-traded listed option space. And the primary role of the Options Industry Council has been for the last 25 years to increase awareness, give really solid knowledge, and give a process so that you have responsible use of exchange-listed equity options. Um, And we wanted to touch a global audience. We just didn't want to hit different segments. Now, you mentioned my role here at the OIC is to work with institutions, but we also have Eric Cott that works directly with the RIA space and uh, Joe Burgoyne that works with retail. And we also have Gary Delaney that's over in Europe. So you see that global reach on the education initiatives here at the OIC. Uh, you know, I've uh, spent significant time on your website, uh, originally uh, found it about 10 years ago, but uh, this last year have spent a lot more time on it. It is a treasure trove of information. Uh, I, I have not watched all of the videos, but I've watched many of them, and uh, th- there are dozens of them, and they're very interesting. They're very well done. And there is there are white papers and there are educational courses. I mean, there is just lots and lots of quality information on options, just showing how they work, telling about, you know, how to do particular kinds of strategies, etc. I presume you get that kind of input often. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, the, the website is our cornerstone. It is basically where we go in and we structure, as you said, we put webcasts together. We have various white papers, research papers, because, Charlie, as you know, when you look at it from the purview of a retail uh, investor, a financial advisor, or even an institution, whether it's a pension plan um, provider, the bottom line is is that they need to get through what is an enormous amount of vernacular 
and concepts. And I think that the team here at the OIC does an incredible job. We have uh, groups that do, you know, bi-weekly webinars so that it's relevant and fresh. Um, and it, it just allows individuals to really take an opportunity to learn what we really think is a very important tool uh, to have in your arsenal, and that's the listed options. So, Joe, uh, tell us, without getting too tall in the weeds here with statistics <laughs> and that kind of thing, is the options industry growing? Are more and more people, are? Uh, is the volume of options growing every year, or is it the same it was five years ago? Where is it? You know, Charlie, it more than growing, it's exploding. And I, I say that in a very positive sense because we've seen since, you know, options have been around since the 70s, 80s. That was in its infancy. When the OIC came into play as an educational resource in 92, um, that's where you started to see that the industry was evolving into not just an institutional marketplace, but a retail marketplace. And that's where education really took prominence. Now, with that being said, you're seeing right Right now, just to put this in context, Charlie, um, on average, we're seeing almost over 20 million contracts being traded. The OCC has data, so if you go to the uh, OCC.com website, you'll be able to pick up that information. But, Charlie, we've gone from... Uh, hundreds of thousands of contracts that were trading on maybe a daily basis in the 80s and 90s to 20 million on average. So that's a huge um, growth factor over the last three, three, three decades. And so I'm telling you right now, we're seeing year over year about a, uh, about a 20%, roughly a 20% increase in average volume on a daily basis. I don't think anyone in the industry um, was expecting that. And especially in the environment that we're in, being in the longest bullish cycle that we've ever been in, and also the, one of the lowest volatility environments that we've seen, um, in, in, at least in my trading career. Yeah. So, so let's start here. Uh, first of all, we're not good. This is not options 101. So we're not going to explain puts and calls and buying and selling and when and how, etc. You can go to our website, Charlie, for That's that. Right. Go to optionseducation.org for that. That's right. First of all, why should an investor or an advisor care about the options marketplace? Really for one huge reason, strategy diversification. Um, options offer and add to an arsenal of products that are available for retail, advisor, and institutions. Where most people are reliant on product diversification, um, you know, at this juncture, you're basically able to now use strategy diversification uh, in lieu of uh, just using product diversification. What I mean is, is that you can use option strategies, like what you were just referencing, some basic ones, in lieu of deploying in fixed income or commodities or currencies, you know, in other words, non-correlated asset classes. And so I think strategy diversification is why investors in general should be looking at options. You know, that, that, that's a great point. We've all heard how many times the only free lunch is diversification. And so you're talking about diversification away from and in addition to market or product diversification, which is what most people think of. Emerging markets versus development international markets versus uh, U.S. sectors versus fixed income, et cetera, et cetera. So you're saying that there's it's an additional way to give somebody additional 
um, uh, strategies to be able to use. So who uses options and why? What do you guys know that you can tell us? As I mentioned, the three segments that we focus on are the retail traders, you know, individual traders trading for their individual accounts. You have financial advisors that are trading on behalf of individuals, working with their clients to meet their future goals. And then you have institutions. And institutions would be public and private pensions, endowments, and family offices. Those are the areas that you see the utilization of options. And again, I think why you see the growth, you know, the factor of seeing the daily average amount of trades increasing so dramatically year over year is the fact of the matter is, Charlie, everyone's starting to see that when you look at the listed transparent markets that have a neutral clearing entity through the OCC, so you really have that contraparty risk managed, that they're seeing the opportunity to go in and say, well, instead of doing something in something that might be very regulatory burdensome like the OTC markets for professionals or for retail traders, the flex markets, they can use the listed options marketplace and they can see the volumes, they can see the bid ass, and it's extremely powerful. Yeah, it, it can be. So I think the, the two major ways that uh, options can be helpful is risk mitigation two, through performance enhancement. So in regards to those here, Joe, what do you think that you understand about options that you wish more people understood? First thing is, is that options can do three things that most people don't understand. One is, is that they can actually increase your performance without increasing your, your risk. In other words, it can, it can mitigate things like volatility risk. Uh, these certain strategies can mitigate or, or enhance yield return without adding any further capital risk. So in other words, you can actually, if, if you needed to get yield enhancement in a portfolio, traditionally you would look at buying some fixed income product. That means that you'd have to outlay capital. Well, in the options marketplace, you can actually look at a core holding and you could sell calls against it. A very simple strategy called a covered right that you know you've probably talked about ad nauseum on your podcast. The point being is is that you can start to deploy things first in a non-complicated, very transparent way, which is much different, especially on the financial advisory and institutional side. Um, the the second thing is is that I think there's uh, you, you know. People sometimes look at these as just leveraged assets, right? That, that you're basically buying something for uh, a fraction of what it actually is notionally, the risk factor is. And I think what people don't understand is that if I buy a call, I can sell a call against it and reduce my risk in there and define the risk. Or I could sell a call and buy a call above it and define the risk. So I think there's the misnomer about the fact that you can actually balance your risk uh, and notional risk factors. And then finally, I really want to dismiss the impression that options are nothing more than a leveraged product that could get people into trouble. In other words, a, a, a I'll use a bad term, but weapons of mass destruction. I think that's just lack of education. And that's why OAC, since 1992, has been out trying to show people how you can utilize these products in a very fixed risk uh, manner to solve problems that you otherwise couldn't use uh, in other arenas. A couple of things here, Joe. First of all, uh, just to correct you a little bit, we never use the word nauseum in connection with our podcasts. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. Hey, you I bet. Will not you use bet. that word anymore. <laughs> okay. Number two, you know, people have such misperceptions. If I could just give a little experience here, misperceptions of the options marketplace. They always say, "Well, aren't options risky?" And I say, "You know, there are two sides to the trade. To a trade, every trade, mm-hmm. there's a buyer and a seller. Now, if it's risky to one of those sides, high risk to one of those sides, how can it be high risk to the other side?" You can't have two sides and they're both high risk because right. you know there's no third party here, you know. Right. And number and, and, and go and, ahead. Yeah, and yeah, no, and you're right. And here's the other thing. The, the the flip side of that is is that the buyers are in control. So they control what their future is. They can either sell it back to the marketplace, right? Or they can say do not exercise or it goes out worthless and but the, when you're a buyer of an option, you quantified your risk from the get-go. Right. And then you understand what your obligations. When you're a seller, the nice thing is is that you can be a seller of options in the options marketplace and quantify your risk by buying, you know, insurance policies for lack of a better analogy that quantify that risk. And and Charlie, once people start to look at this and then they look at the statistical advantage. For example, if you're selling a call that's a twenty delta at that time, it's telling you that there's a 20% probability that it will be in the, in, in the money between now and expiration. Now, of course, things change. Markets move. But the point being is, is at that point in time, you're looking at it statistically and saying, I only have a 20% probability that that option is going to be in the money at this time. That's extremely powerful versus if you buy or sell something in the outright markets, you have a 50-50 probability of it either going up or down. Right. And the second thing I'd like to point out, you know, which is very interesting that people just kind of look at me and stare is I say, hey, you buy a stock, you have no control over how fast that puppy is going to move or you sell a stock short. You have no control. But with an option, you can slow that down to become 10 percent of 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 how this how fast the stock moves or. 250%. 250%. You can control the movement, the, 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 the speed of the movement of that, and you can make it very conservative or very aggressive, which you can't really do with a normal stock. Yep. And that's why I was preaching from the get-go, and you're preaching it now. Strategy diversification allows you to quantify risk. It allows you, in, in, in whatever you perceive the environment to be, you can quantify that. You can lock it in, and it's very powerful to be able to do that. Um, it, and 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 I think that uh, you know more. The more that we talk about it, the more that we put the vernacular in more simple terms, and then show the visualizations of that. I will tell you right now, Charlie. Then you will start to see the benefits very clearly. So tell us. Let's say you're talking to uh, me, and I'm uh, with an institution, and we really haven't used options. Okay, and I just say, you know, it's an unknown, it's too complicated. Tell me why I should do this. Now, can you give me here, Joe, a specific example of something that has happened or could happen that probably could motivate me as a portfolio manager of an institution to at least take a step in the direction of using options? Sure. One thing is, is that, you know, as I had mentioned in the beginning of the the, the, uh, podcast, that Eric Cott on the RIA side has done a, a study with Cirilli that basically pointed out that, you know, the, the biggest thing that when you're talking to an RIA is, is that they want portfolio diversification and protection, or in other words, hedging, right? So, Charlie, what I would say is if you came to me with that scenario is, is Charlie, well, what is, the, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? 
right? And a lot of times, you know, when you're sitting there, whether it's you're talking directly to an institution, which is what I would do, they're like, well, we have volatility risk. We're concerned that the markets are going to start to get volatile, and we want tail risk to be covered. We can start looking at how we can actually manage that with putting on protective strategies, whether it's utilizing puts or whether it's using products like VIX. For RIAs, um, again, this is something where you sit down and you look at your client. And, and here's the great part for RIAs is, is that options allow you to customize for the needs of your clients, right? Because every client is going to be different. Their goals, their objectives, their risk tolerances. And so the nice thing is, is that options can be tailored to the needs and desires of the clients. As a matter of fact, in the Cirilli study, Charlie, you'll, you'll find this interesting. We actually found that a lot of advisors were being almost pushed into the options marketplace because their clients were saying, why aren't you using listed options? Why aren't you using things like cover calls, protective puts, cover combos? And their advisors were like, A, I don't know anything about options. And B, uh, I didn't know that it was something that you thought was important that we should look at and that you thought would be suitable for meeting your desired goals and and objectives. I think at this point, um, you're starting to see that um, we're getting through the misinterpretation of the products. And now because of the retail demand, and now the retail demand extending to their advisors and then extending to the institutions that are managing their pensions, you're starting to see that the RIA space, the independent advisor space, and the institutional space are now starting to look very strongly at these markets. So, Joe, let, let's move to phase number two here. So let's yeah. say you've done a good job at talking to whoever you're talking to, either an advisor or a large retail investor or to uh, an institution, and they become open to the idea and they say, okay, Joe, uh, you know, I'm open to the idea. I, I'm willing to spend some time pursuing this what do I do? Do I try to become an expert in options? Do I bring in an options firm? Are they going to charge me an arm and a leg? Uh, do I have to have, you know, $30 million for them to work with me? What's the next step once we are interested and willing to look at options? You know, for RIAs, it's basically making sure that it fits within the investment goals and objectives and risk tolerances of the clients. Once the client has warmed up to it, understands the risk tolerances, understands the rights and obligations of the strategic approaches, then you start moving forward and saying, okay, what are we trying to solve here? For institutions, really what it comes down to, and, and, and you, you brought up something important just universally is fees and costs. It's remarkable how much the fee structure has compressed. With the rise of the ETF markets and the compression there and the pressure that it put on the mutual fund markets, you're starting to see it in option-related types of opportunities, both on the execution costs um, as well as the cost for someone to manage it. So for an institution, they either do it internally uh, or they get an external asset manager or someone like an OCIO. We actually sat down in the Greenwich study and we found a lot of these institutions are looking at asset managers because they've been actively using the products and they have a ton of quantitative research that validates the approach. So in other words, they've been active pr practitioners. So it validates the approach and it makes it much easier when you have that quantitative information along with that uh, qualitative education on the utilization of these products. You marry that, Charlie, and then all of a sudden the, bo the board's on, on board no pun intended, um, the uh, the risk 
uh, groups are on board, the clients are on board if you're talking to RIAs because they see this holistic picture. And again, I think the biggest cornerstone of this, Charlie, is if I were on the other side of the fence, whether an RIA or an, you know, an instit- an, someone in an institution that was responsible for managing the money, I would say, well, what problem am I trying to solve? And if I see the light that this is solving the problem that I have, utilizing listed options, both because of the quantitative information and the quality education that I just got, I'm going to move forward. I don't have, you know, you'll, you'll see the light. And uh, one final question before we move on here that I just thought of here, Joe. Yes. 2008 was not a pleasant experience for many people, okay? <laughs> no. And the word derivatives became a very bad four-letter word. Okay, mm-hmm. options are derivatives. However, it wasn't puts and calls that put people underneath. It was CDOs and CLOs and all kinds of things. Do people sometimes get these mixed together where they shouldn't? And were puts and calls in any way related to the credit crisis? Let's put it this way. The products that evolved the credit crisis were over-the-counter products, products that weren't centrally cleared. And I have been on record saying since 2008 that basically any product that doesn't have central clearing, a neutral clearing party, is going to have at some point in time the potential to have issues, especially on the liquidity side, right? That's what happened in 2008. We had products that weren't centrally cleared. The Options Clearing Corp which fully funds the Options Industry Council, is a neutral party that manages the risk at all of the member firms, all of the the broker-dealers, and it just basically manages it from the perspective of looking at contraparty risk. And if you're not trading a product that has central clearing, then you're going to have to expect that there could be a potential crisis in, in the future. Does it have to happen? No. But in 2008, the areas of the financial sectors that had the issues of illiquidity and caused all of this were areas where there were only two contraparties and no one managing it. And at the end of the day, the U.S. taxpayer was on the hook. But I'll tell you right now, the listed options marketplace was ready, willing, and able to be opened. And, you know, because of the fact that we had all of the capital structures, the contraparty risk structures being managed so that if a crisis of this nature came, the capital and the requirements were all there, regardless of whether or not there was a default by one, two, or multiple parties or contraparties. Joe, thank you for that. So, Joe, a question that I've been asking all of our guests here. What's the best advice regarding investing that you've ever heard, read, or received? Easy. Keep it simple. <laughs> the KISS method. I'm not kidding. Coming into this industry, that that's what someone told me from the get-go. I've read some really incredible books and been involved in some great studies, and it really gets in the minutia of this. But at the end of the day, if you keep it simple, understand what a long call and a long put, a short call and a short put is, rights and obligations, then you can take combinations of that, and that solves problems. But you keep those simple tenants, those simple basic building blocks. You master those, and you understand that. Then you put combinations. It's unbelievable, Charlie, what you can do with them with that basic underlying knowledge. So keep it simple. Joe, appreciate that. So what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? First one that was ever thrown to me when I got on the floor, Chicago Board of Trade, and that was the option volatility and pricing. Uh, it was it was about advanced trading strategies and techniques. Is by Sheldon Nadenberg. Probably talked to Shelley before. He was. If you wanted to be a market maker, if you want to understand trading volatility, that was the book. 
Okay, appreciate that. No one has recommended that in about 350 interviews here, uh, well, Joe, so we hey. appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, so for those who would like to know more, some contact information and website. Go to www.optionseducation.org, O-R-G, and you can always email me at jcusick at theocc.com, and you can feel free to call me anytime at 312-322-9106. And I can mention that, as I have just told you earlier, that uh, I was on the uh, YouTube looking at various uh, presentations on options. And there you were, Joel, on a poor man's covered call. Reminded me what you look like, and uh, you, you look good there. So congratulations. Well, thank you, sir. I'm a serial educator, and we have a great team here. That is, we have over 100 plus strategies and discussions that are on there. Um, our investor services group does a great job of keeping that updated and uh, so please yeah take advantage of it go to our website we have the videos up there we have youtube and so forth and uh, yeah and it's a great resource so joe thank you very much again for joining us today our best wishes for good weather in chicago and continued uh, prosperity and opportunity through the options marketplace again thanks for being with us Charlie, thank you so much, and thanks to you and your organization. I look forward to talking to you in the near future. Okay, so again, we've been talking with Joseph Cusick, Director of Education and Business Development at the Options Industry Council, speaking to us from Chicago. And you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love you to contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. And please go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.